Koitiarapuru Sounds Enga reo, enga mana, raurangatira ma, tena koto katoa. Talofalava, malo e lei, ni sambula vinaka, pakalovala hiatu, talohani, noa ia i Mauri, kam na Mauri, a fio mai, maliu mai. Our music is a mirror. It's a mirror of the world around us. It tells us about the life and the life was simple. How we judge music today is so different to what our ancestors thought of as music. There's a certain power that we've lost in terms of our ability to utilize frequency and sound in a very, very powerful way that used to be inherent in us back in the day. What can we say is the indigenous sound of Moananuya Kiwa or Oceania? What was lost and what was gained over the course of history? And how do we keep our unique identity in music alive today? We'll explore this and more in this podcast series, Sounds of the Moana, for Sounds, Center for New Zealand Music, Toi Te Arapuoro. Ko ili And this is episode one, Sounds of the Navigators. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to sing for you one one verse of the hymn that was uh, especially composed for the independent celebration of the Western Samoa state in 1962. Thank you. Western Samoa Culture Group performing at the second South Pacific Arts Festival in Rotorua, Aotearoa, New Zealand, 1976. It's ironic that such a festival could be held during this time, when the New Zealand government was deporting Pacific peoples who had overstayed their temporary visa, despite the fact that most temporary immigrants were from the United Kingdom or Australia. The New Zealand government recently held a public apology for this period of state-led racial discrimination known as the Dawn Raids. The apology marked a new hopeful chapter in the history of this country's race relations. One that acknowledged the full history of Pacific peoples, or Tangata Moana, in Aotearoa, the world's largest population of Tangata Moana. Ladies and gentlemen, to the people of Western Samoa, let's say Talofa. The hymn, composed for Samoa's independence ceremony in 1962, tells us many things. It tells us there was a celebration to mark independence from decades of colonial and administrative rule from Germany and New Zealand. It tells us of Samoa's pride and independence. And it also tells us of the importance of the church to the sound and music of Samoa. Indeed, this is the case not just in Samoa, but also the wider Moananuya Kiwa, or Pacific Islands today. But it hasn't always sounded like this. (laughs) 
This holing chant was performed by a group of men led by Ayuta to Pailei in Vaipua Savai'i in Samoa. It was recorded by anthropologist Dr. Richard Moyle in 1969, but will have been practiced for hundreds of years prior. This original indigenous sound-making and music-making unique to the great Moana might have taken a detour, but it is not lost forever. There are still a few remaining knowledge holders, indigenous scholars and practitioners keeping the sounds of the navigators alive. To look at the life and sounds of our ancestors, we must look first to death. The sound of a different order or kind or being, which is what we call the sound of death and the dead. This is Professor Hufanga Heakomoilotu, Dr. Okusitino Mahina. He is one of those rare and precious indigenous knowledge holders who was not only raised in the ways of the Moana, but he also employs the rigors of academia through his work as the Professor of Art, Culture and Critical Anthropology at the Tonga International Academy. I asked Dr. Mahina, to record the traditional songs from his upbringing in the village of Defisi in Tonga. He began with this story of the Afo Whakawhaaike, a traditional song sung in a minor key to farewell the departed and to mark occasions associated with death and the dead. When you hear the Afo the word Whaaike means uh, the other side, the music associated with this side, the side of the living, and life is called Afo Farafahitatau. The line is drawn between the dead and the living, and there is that crossover. It's a two-way transaction, you see. They always go together as Hoa or Soa in Samoan, or pair of equal and opposite binaries, you see. And, of course, to cross over that line from living or life is to cross over to death and the dead, uh, and enhance the association of this peculiar sound referred to as the sound of the other side other than this side. And the missionaries, <coughs> when they first came to Tonga, and they were, oh, that's offbeat. Uh, that's probably associated with the devil, because they later call it Afofakatevoro, 
Oh, go for a devil. Meaning, oh, you know, the hair kind of stood up and all. Something around <laughs> that kind of, of feeling of fear and, and uh, suspicion, and ultimately they thought it's to do with the devil, and therefore it's sinful, and therefore you must give it up, and we must see to it that we will uh, get rid of it, and they did. We're really in historic waters now, the root of the great migrations. Yes. This is a dramatized scene from a 1953 radio feature, The Coral Route, Skyway to Oceania, about the historic tourist route across the Pacific Islands. You know, I quite envy these people. What a wonderfully free life they lead. They do, but it wasn't always so. They've had a taste of the other. You're talking of the Blue Lords? Yes. They lasted for 50 years, well into the present century. Blue Lords? What were they? The Laws of the Missionaries. Their intentions were good, but they carried things a bit too far. I know that even white men and the cooks were forbidden to be out of doors after 8 o'clock at night on pain of a heavy fine. Yes, that, that's nothing. The offences for which natives were fined would be incredible were they not recorded in official reports. Uh, in Rarotonga, for instance, a native who walked at dusk along the road with his sweetheart was obliged to carry a burning torch in his hand. And he was fined if he let it go out. <laughs> One of those missionaries they were speaking about was the Wesleyan printer, Reverend William Woon. Woon was accepted for the Methodist ministry in 1830 and was appointed to the Friendly Islands Mission in Tonga from Cornwall, England to undertake the translation and printing of the scriptures in Tongan language. Not long after his arrival in Tonga, however, the 5th of September 1830, he noted in his journal that he was... Anxious that I should do something to improve the singing among the natives. Something should be done soon to make the tunes they sing more like the originals. Several of our excellent tunes are spoiled by the natives from singing them in a minor key. Others are so completely metamorphosed that we scarcely know what tunes they sing. And in William Wound's journal on the 14th of June 1830... The tunes composed in the major key are made completely minor, and such is the difference that sometimes their singing reminds me of some of our solemn dirges sung at funerals. I believe all this will be done away in time. The whole thing uh, is now complete. We no longer sing it. And even when I used to speak or to present a talk, Tongan said, what? What are you talking about? They no longer have an association with it. They thought it's alien. The very sound that our forebears sang is alien to them. They are strangers to this because of the missionaries who banned the whole thing. Unfortunately, Reverend William Woon's perception of anything non-European having no place in the savages' pursuit of the God above was the norm among Woon's colleagues. And it wasn't just the music that was put at risk. It was long-held traditions too. 
The missionaries put a stop to the art of tattooing or tatau throughout most of Mananui. Except for Samoa, where the 3,000-year-old tradition was kept alive in a small number of regions, allowing for its current revival. Ironically, tatau is widely accepted across Mananui churchgoers today. Uh, on the Hawaiians and uh, Maori and uh, many parts of the Cook Islands, and possibly Tuvalu and the smaller islands, they still retain some of it, but only when they perform ceremonies, you know, like karanga. It's kind of frozen in the past. And when they come, oh, let's uh, do uh, a current song, they switch to the other. And there is this strict, absolute line drawn. You know, the Kalanga, the Hawaiian uh, ceremonies, they, they move from the, the side of the living to the side of the dead. The, the, the difference between them and Samoa and Tonga is that we are no longer crossing anywhere. We don't cross because there's none left for us to cross over to enjoy or to to take part. It's, it's lost. And you as a Samoan and I as a Tongan, the, the onus is on our shoulders to bring back, uh, or, or to, to build that bridge We must build a bridge between the past and present worlds if we are to retain our identity. There are those like Dr. Mahina who lament the influence of Christianity and its efforts to save the savage, so to speak, which stamped out the majority of traditional knowledge around our artistic expressions. Despite this culture overhaul and tragic loss, there are people who can champion both the gospel and the ways of the ancestors. One such practitioner is Melbourne-based Samoan ethnomusicologist, choir director, composer, and Pacifica youth advocate, Rita Semontafa. How we judge music today is so different to what our ancestors um, thought of as music. And I've seen comments online about, you know, what people think of, and it's the words, uh, oh, that's very simple, oh, doesn't sound really nice, does it? Or, uh, as the missionaries would say, a very rude type of sound. And that's because, you know, nowadays our ears are conditioned to appreciate music differently to how our ancestors um, recognized music or even understood music. As Rita says, even today in the digital realm, we continue to see the ripple effect of the ideology that drove Reverend William Wun to re-educate the natives towards a style more in tune with the Western ideal of harmony. Bye.
This is one of the oldest recordings of Pacific music that exists, and yet we still hear Western harmonies within the song. It was recorded in Samoa during 1911 by Wilhelm Solf, governor of Samoa, or German Samoa as the island nation was known, when it was under Germany's administration. The performance and composer is unknown. However, Rita has identified this song as Peseoliaso, or Song of the Day. Rita is currently a PhD candidate at the University of Melbourne's Conservatorium of Music, writing her thesis on Pesiole Faulfalenga, or songs for the official opening events of a building, such as a church, a family meeting house, or one with a significance like a hospital, office complex, or a hotel, for example. Although the Samoan Pese are composed for a Christian ritual, Rita believes the pre-colonial ways of singing remain today. There are remnants of our ancestral ways of singing in today's uh, performance of Samoan music, particularly Samoan music. You know, I can hear the nasal tones, uh, the chest voice, that was how singing was, how it was done. The new way of singing for us is this very, you know, westernized, neat and tidy type of uh, performance. And so where would you see or where would you hear remnants of ancestral singing? I can hear it in a lot of church um, of Rita says that you're more likely to hear these Samoan tones outside of the church, in youth groups or culture performances. It's the stuff outside of the worshipping. It's the stuff that's out in the church hall when you saw a bese for, say, Independence Day or even Polyfest. You know, you, you can't sing those kind of bessie with a very uh, tidy, trained voice. You can't sing it like that. You need to bout it out. And you know when a lot of the whaiaonga, the teachers, when they say, Samoa, you know, like what they're saying to us is, use your chest voice. Chest voice is the way to go. It's loud, <laughs> you know, because of course all of our music was performed outdoors. So you had to carry that tone, carry the message. And so you need the volume. And also, when you go to the high register of the voice, you would go nasal, you know, unless you're formally trained and you've gone to like classical singing lessons and things like that. However, the, the natural way is to go nasal. And so that produces that sound that we hear today very much in the Cook Island community. That sharp, nasal, vocal tone to the westernized ears can be a discomfort. But to those in a know like Rita, this singing style can be a way to celebrate and connect back to the ancestors who gave us life. Rita says this isn't the only way we can keep the ancestral connection going. I see lyrics as a way of connecting to our ancestors in my own study of Bessie Olufalufalenga, Songs for a Church Opening Event, 
the way those bisi are composed lyrically, they follow an age-old process that our ancestral Fatupesi followed as well, you know, and that was the lyrics had to align with the structure of Launga Fatsamoa. Rita is saying that the ancient composers, Fatupesi, followed a structure and process that aligns with traditional Samoan speech, and that is still used amongst composers today. You know, and that's something that's been carried over over decades and centuries, and I find it interesting and also beautiful that that's still the case and when I asked Fatupesi why do you still do that why hasn't uh, you know music has kind of evolved in, in our Samoan communities we now sound different to our ancestors from 200 years ago why do you still follow the same structure why do you still do it this way and they always say because that's how it's always been done because that's that's from our ancestors we now take our Talanoa deeper into the past to recover what we can of the sounds of the navigators. To show us the way, we are joined by Leunga Ape Tawaana Ata Sofara, who comes from a long line of knowledge holders. I don't write anything down. My dad didn't write anything for us. His dad didn't write anything for him. It was passed down and all he said, son, we are guardians of this great language and art. Doesn't belong to you. I am a guardian of this great, great Nangana Samoan. Leunga is a Samoan orator, chief and respected knowledge holder of Samoan traditions. He teaches Samoan language and history with the Pacific Education Center, an organization dedicated to revitalizing languages and cultures of Tangata Moana. Samoa is a very sacred, very peaceful place. There is a saying in Samoa, Olefua Malepao. You measure your reaction to the sounds of the oar. Olefua Malepao. Tafua is talking about canoes and the vacas. Elongo lefua Malepao. You listen. You listen to when there is signature or symbols from whoever is the captain, then you will hear the oars touching the ocean. And that's when you know we are going to start, or we're going to stay, or we are moving forward, or we are moving backwards. So Samoa really relies in terms of putting together these music and rhythms of their everyday lives, like a long old four you prepare your response when you hear the pigeons landing on the tree. When there is pigeon uh, warriors who are trying to catch them, that's when the na'a or the stick, 
that will hit the branch where the lupe or the pigeon is standing on, then you will hear the tea. It's another word for sound or this specific sound. Tea. Elongo le tuli ile. Tata. You know it's the knee by the sounds of the tapping. If you hear the tattooers, uh, they have their own timing depending on which part of the body and also how the receiver of the hau, the stick, is responding to the tattooist. Just like the sound of the oars in the water signaled the direction in which the vaka was to be paddled, so too was the tapping of the hau or the tattooing stick on the body. The sounds and rhythms of everyday life make up the backbone of music, arts and culture in Samoa. Dr. Mahina is back to take us deeper into the philosophy from a Tongan perspective. You were surrounded by sound everywhere you are, or went. Thunder, lightning, the blowing of the winds, the birds singing, you hear waves. As with many old cultures, all things visible and invisible were acknowledged as part of the cosmology that underpinned life in Tangata Moana. The elements of nature, sun, wind, ocean, trees and animals were respected as gods. In the case of Tonga, the same respect was given to sound. Ongo means three things, sound, hearing and feeling, all of which are closely connected and interconnected and of course you hear sound with your ears and you feel sound you become uh, excited you feel warm um, elated Uh, so they are connected and interconnected in that way and of course sound is merely a medium one of the mediums through which energy as meta, meta, energy as heavy, and, and ultimately energy as time-space tava. And here's where we really get philosophical. Dr. Mahina's theory of ta, va, or time and space, lies at the heart of this practice as a scholar poet and master performer of the fangufangu, or the Tongan version of the nose flute. In his theory, art is defined as a form of intensification of ta, time, and reconstitution of va, space, and involves transformation from a condition of chaos to a state of order through sustained rhythmic production of symmetry, harmony, and more importantly, beauty which basically means that art is the organization of chaos. Dr. Mahina says this philosophy was created as a way of making sense of the world from an indigenous Pacifica perspective. Like everything, whether you're talking about culture, language, uh, music, dance, poetry, these things are organized in different ways across cultures and languages, you see. The way in which the Papalangi 
um, arranged music is both similar and different to the ways in which Tongans arrange music or sound. The moment people meddle with sound, that's when uh, music is, is born. You know, music is man-made or human-made. And once Tongans begin to meddle, to, to handle sound through singing or humming or the use of musical instruments, that's when sound becomes music and that music is considered as peculiarly Tongan in that respect. The Dawa'alo or paddling song performed by Thea Thea in Tumua, Ha'apai Tonga, during 1949. Peoples of the Pacific or Tangata Moana had a unique relationship with sound and the natural environment, and many stories, proverbs, and practices came out of this. One of these practices was the chant. Prevalent in pre-colonial, pre-Christian society, but also used today for formalities such as the opening of Samoan parliamentary sittings. We come back to Leunga Ape Tawa'ana Ata Sofara, who demonstrates this chant representing the presence of the Malietoa or the king. And that sound represents the Malietoa himself. So wherever you hear that sound, the Malietoa family is here. And even different families have different chants, which they call mua. Mua are the ones who are in front of any war, when it's raging war between families, districts and kings. And mua in English? Mua in English is like a chant of the wars. You know, if you watch the Braveheart, you know, those guys in the front will make a fuss make their own psyching up before they go. It represents, you know, the highlands or the lowlands or the Celtics. That's what they call mua, that sound that they make or a chant that they make to represent uh, their colours and who they are and their ancestors before they move forward and, and go to war. Ensuring that you were on the right side of the battle meant knowing your melodies and rhythms. If the Samoan Mua or War Chant has survived the ravages of colonialism, what else might be salvaged from other motu or islands of the Moana? Next, we hear about forms of chant from an esteemed knowledge holder hailing from the island of Mauke in the Cook Islands. Ma'ara Maeva develops and delivers schools and community programs for Tamaki Paingahira, Auckland War Memorial Museum. The sounds that was the vocalization or the music, I think, that were performed, say, 400 years ago, threads of it 
are still alive today. For example, one of those threads of music that we can find it today is in the nakunaku, in the wailing. There are still elements of wailing, crying over someone that is still present today that I think was derived from way before the missionaries. So, for example, throughout the Cook Islands, especially in the Northern Cooks, you will hear a wailing that goes like Unless I pine for you, my child, who has been lost to the ocean, what am I to do, your mother or your father? What am I to do? So if you hear that recitation, the pitch rise or tend to rise very little. So those elements of what may have been sung or voices of before are still here. Ma'ara holds a master's degree in archaeology from Te Wānangao Tamaki Makoto, the University of Auckland. But more importantly, he holds extensive knowledge of stories of the land, the sea, the sky, and everything within, passed down from his elders. Ma'ara says the sacred chants he hears today are what he heard as a child on the islands of Mauke in the Cook Islands. He believes that these sounds are actually the sounds of nature going back thousands of years ago, including the call of the long-tailed cuckoo of the Atangaroa. The Atangaroa was one of those birds that's been migrating from, from Aotearoa, New Zealand, throughout to the Pacific for millions of years. So they have a distinctive call. Those calls we know happened in the past. Those calls are still being recited today. So... Those are some of those examples of shreds of evidence of how the sound may have been before. They are still being used today. For example, there goes a chant in Mauke which recalls uh, the harvesting of the furthest of the Atangaro for the chiefly regalia. <laughs> What is his purpose? What is her purpose? To harvest, to harvest the furthest, to harvest the furthest, to make the chiefly regalia. The long tail cuckoo cries, a whist, a whist, a whist, a whist. Those are the calls as heard by the people in the Cook Islands in Mauke of the cry of the, of the uh, long-tailed cuckoo. And that's how they fly even today. From what we know today, how they cry, they, that's how they cried the millions of years ago. So we know then those voices, those music, those sounds that would have happened in the past are still being happening today. So those sounds have been incorporated into the music of the Cook Islands. As you can hear, that chant, again, very, very in pitch. I can't even hear a minor tone, like an A minor, for example. But uh, again, it varies little. It differs a little. It's basically because the life of the people in the past were simple. 
there were no matters pertaining to, to, uh, to return tax, tax returns, which complicated the mind. No. So it's actually a reflection of, of the way people were just simple. Simple tone, not too much variation, no minor chords. That's what it is. It tells us about the life. The life was simple. Yeah. This session is being recorded on the 1st of September, 1967, at Nikaupara, Aitutaki. <laughs> Simple sounds from a simple life. That was a pe'e or oat style chant, Tutu Teruaraki, telling part of the story of Ru, the navigator from Hawaiki who first settled Aitutaki in the Cook Islands. You heard New Zealand anthropologist Mervyn McLean at the beginning of that recording. So far, we have sampled just a small fraction of sounds of the navigators, the sonic practices of the great Moana forebearers. But where does this leave us now? Part of us mourns the loss of our indigenous culture. Yet the sounds of the colonizers through the church are very much accepted and celebrated as part of our identity. How can we reconcile both the loss of our Moana cultures and the benefits of the church and other modern influences. One artist whose life and work encapsulates both the indigenous and modern worlds of Tangata Moana is the Samoan artist Fayumu Matthew Salapu, aka Anonymous with a Z. Anonymous is one of Aotearoa's in-demand sound, music and video producers. His work spans from hip-hop to traditional classical composition to experimental avant-garde sound art. Anonymous grew up in Mangere, attending the Samoan Methodist congregation as a kapiyango, or piano accompanist to the choir. But at the same time, he was soaking up in American hip-hop culture. The strict conservative church services he accompanied each Sunday morning were a world away from the drunken hood antics of the car park parties the night before. Anonymous have evolved over time to connect back to his ancestral roots, wanting to learn more about the indigenous Samoan and Pacific cultures. music and our expression has always been that connection to our creator to open up the space between the present moment of us having a physical existence and tapping into that that world beyond the veil that space that we all come from as a proud lineage as a proud people as a proud nation and as proud descendants of the navigators of Moana and so Christianity to me was just a shift of us praising 
our gods, our sense of ancestry and then transferring it over to this version that was given to us in the Bible and praising it through that lens as opposed to our lens. I'm not really an expert and, and don't know enough to say whether it's right or wrong, the whole Christian thing, because I do know that there were great elements to that. You know, I, I know that there's a certain power that we've lost in terms of our ability to utilize frequency and sound in a very, very powerful way that used to be inherent in us back in the day. And then you kind of dig back into a lot of our ancient knowledge and indigenous ways of using music and sound to heal, whether that be a launga, a big speech at a funeral, and you've been given the right to be the orator to, to give voice on behalf of the deceased, or whether it is in the way some of our instruments, like say the porotiti and the Māori, how they use string instruments strung between their hands over the chest of a coughing baby and, and the bass frequencies dislodge mucus. Whether it's the way the Hawaiians step off their waka in new waters and they use their chants to unlock the spiritual space before they even step off. That's the part I miss. And I know that colonialism and Christianity has done away with a lot of that black magic art. And that's the part that I wish we... You know, and am hopeful for that we can kind of revive or tap back into or, or, or find our way back to that source. And I know with Christianity, you know, it has really um, penetrated into our ancestral music and penetrated into the lyrics and the composition of lyrics. This is Rita Semantafa again. Whereas, you know, before Christianization, the lyrics were really about uh, the people, they were really about the ancestral gods, all the different gods that our Samoan ancestors worshipped. And I truly believe that even though sometimes the content, like specific words and phrases, have been replaced to reflect the current climate of our spirituality, the structure remains the same. And that's something that I've really enjoyed unpacking in my doctoral study, is that Things change, but we still do them the same way, without even knowing it. You know that saying, Mayava, I don't know how how would you translate. This is Leonga so far. So how would we translate that? Well, we say methodologies evolve. Do we change the methods? But the basement of the house and foundation Exactly, yeah. So please do not move the needle of that, you know. Far by that establishment. No matter what form, you know, esui, whaingai tu the form may change, but the foundation remains the same. On the other side of the veil, I don't think our ancestors will ever let us go. This idea shared between three different Samoan knowledge holders, Rita Seumanutafa, Leunga Sofara, and Anonymous. The form may change, but the foundation remains the same. Maybe a way to make sense of being Tangata Moana in the modern world is to remember these words. Here's Anonymous again, with some last words on what he believes to be the foundation of Moana music. 
Our music is a mirror. It's a mirror of the world around us. You can look at the visual equivalent of like our tatau, and so that is our traditional body markings that get transmitted from father to son, from master to apprentice. And all the markings are literally depictions of what we see in the environment around us. It refers to the water, it refers to the land, it refers to the, to the animal kingdom, it refers to life. And in the same way, our music reflects everything around us. So if every single day you're hearing the water in a certain way or the, the majestic look of the mountains look a certain way or the way the fog hangs in the air looks a certain way, our music reflects that. Now that we're here in Aotearoa, take a look around. <laughs> so we will reflect what's here. And it's so evident in our, in our music because we just, we're really good at emulating other forms of music. So now we're not reflecting the environment, but we're re reflecting the musical environment. We hear another culture's form of reggae. Oh, we'll do our form of reggae a certain way. The latest Top 40 hit comes out. The next day we've got a Samoan cover doing it our, our certain way. I, I love the example of It As Well. It As Well, traditional, you know, hymn from the Western world, and I don't know it as such. I grew up with that thinking that was a OG Samoan hymn. And all the congregations know that I grew up as a Methodist, Samoan Methodist, but the Fakasas, the Catholics, everybody knows this hymn. So I thought that was a Samoan song. And then I need to realise later, oh no, that was just our imitation, our mirror of the musical environments. And so that's that transmission of language and culture, regardless of the form. But we are just very good at, we're just very good mirrors. And that's our artistic inherent expression, is that we look at the world around us and we, we love the beauty of it and we want to reflect it back. I think our Pacifica musicians out there today, they're embracing their Pacifica side, their love of their cultural music. I've always been very pro-utilising the elements from around you because that's what our ancestors were like. They didn't really categorise everything. It was, you use whatever is around you, you use your environment, and I would like to see people continue that in music, you know, in sounds. That was Sounds of the Navigators, the first of a two-part series on Sounds of the Moana for Sounds, Centre for New Zealand Music, Toi Te Arapuoro, Whaafitai Telelawa, Mahaloa Pito, Thank you for listening. In the second and final part of this series, The Origin of Sounds, we turn our focus to instrumental practices of the conch shell, wooden slit drum, and the nose flute as practiced across Moananui Akiwa. This podcast was produced and presented by me, Tawili'ili Alpha Mayaba, co-produced by Sofiana Wilson, recorded at the 37 Hertz Studio. 
Sound engineered by Phil Brownlee. Research by me, Tawidi Ili Alpha Mayava. The script advisor was Kirsten Johnstone. Voice acting by Roger Smith. And production assistance from Roger Smith, Kelly Mata, Nina L'Esperance, and Jonathan Engel. Thanks to executive producers Diana Marsh, Tumalu Noma Sio Fayumu, and Leone Venta, without whom these podcasts would not have been made. Fafitaiteli and deep gratitude to our esteemed guests and knowledge holders, Professor Hufanga Heakomoilotu Dr. Okositino Mahina, Rita Seumanutafa, Leunga Ape Tawaana Ata Sofara, Maara Maeva, and Anonymous, a.k.a. Fayumu Matthew Salapu. Thanks also go to the sound archives of Fayumu Matthew Salapu, Liz Anderson from the McPherson Natural History Unit Sound Archive, Nga Taonga Sound and Vision for providing audio from their RNZ collection, and Nga Mihinui Te Wharewa Nanga o Tamaki Makaurau of the University of Auckland, Māori and Pacific Sound Archives, who kindly provided a huge number of the archival recordings you heard in this podcast. For more about this podcast, other sounds podcasts, and information about the music of Aotearoa New Zealand, go to Sound's website, sounds.org.nz. That's S-O-U-N-Z. Soi fuaia ma ia manuia. No reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Toi te arapuru, sounds.